the um, so yeah, the question we asked was why uh, do people not why they don't see the signs of the mind generally? Why is that something that needs to be developed first, as the suttas would say? Because the standard they use for measuring a thing to be a thing is um, whether or not you can attend to it or not, but you can't attend to the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You. Um, so, so it's not. An, it cannot be an object of your attention. Yeah. You can only discern the sign or the context of the mind. So you. Yeah. So why, or, or rather, what then? What what maintains that standard of expecting, of, or rather regarding uh, things to exist only if you can attend to them? Everything else other than that, it's sort of invisible. Why is that? Because people don't choose to do that. They are doing that. I guess it's a view, like science, like the scientific view, for example. Sure, it's a view, but what maintains that view? Something needs to feed the view. Being engaged in the senses. Uh, exactly. A lack of exactly. sense restraint. Exactly. So, engaging with the senses for the sake of pleasure, for the sake of avoiding pain, is why people can't see the signs of their mind. Even if they learn everything correctly, read the suttas, and it says the prerequisite for the right view is uh, seeing the signs of your mind, they won't see that unless they have been sufficiently withdrawn from their senses. Um, what else is then necessary? Say somebody is withdrawn from their senses. Um, what else do they need to do in order to start even seeing? Seclusion. Seclusion. So Precepts. that's another thing you should say. Uh, one, the one who is not dwelling secluded, that he can see the signs of the mind, that's not possible. So a certain physical seclusion is necessary. Why is that? Why is physical seclusion necessary in order to discern that background of your experience, that where your mind is? Why can't you see it when you're in co- dwelling with company, in company? What's the incompatible aspect there? Other people. You engage with, you sort of kind of pulled out to engage with others, you know, there's a kind of pull to... But could you say, but you know, we are all observing noble silence, we are all quiet, we are all meditating, watching our breath or whatever, nobody's talking, would that be sufficient? There is the possibility of stepping out, basically. To engage, as he said. Yeah. So, in other words, simply perception of others as others already prevents that solitude where you're just with yourself. Uh, and yeah, so if, if a person were to start from that neutral position, as you often say, like, and then learn these things, then yeah, you could maybe even in company discern the background signs of your mind without these projected views and so on. But nobody starts in a neutral position. Everybody starts already with a vijja, already with ignorance, already with everything else. So then you actually need to withdraw the other way more until certain things are recognized. 
um, such as that background sign of your mind. So where would you be looking for the signs of your mind practically? Say somebody is now sense restrained, guarding of the sense doors, dwelling alone for you know a good part of the day, is not spending time just constantly in company or with others or talking to others and so on. Where would you start? What would you look for? Pressure and intentions. Okay. So how would that reveal the mind? Or what, what would that reveal? See, spotting the signs of the mind, Chitta Nimitta, as a necessary prerequisite for the right view. Where would those signs appear? We can say background, sure, peripheral, sure, but more specifically? Okay, what the sutta say, what, what is the mind uh, determined by? What is citta determined by? Perception and feeling. Yeah, so, so where, where do your perception and feeling meet? Just in colloquial terms, where would you find what you perceive and what you feel? Mood. Exactly, yeah. So, and mood is something, see, already something you cannot observe directly with your eyes, ears, nose. You can't feel it tactilely with sensations in your body, yet you are under it. It's like the weather. It's, it's, it's like the weather, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <coughs> so, that's, that's exactly what you would look for. Is that mood light or heavy, elevated or depressed, uh, lustful or non-lustful? calm or disturbed, constricted or expanded. See, all of these are certain signs, i.e. properties, certain limiters of, of already where your mind is. So for somebody who doesn't see this mind at all or hasn't developed it, mood is pretty much what your mind is. That's like if you go in that direction, you will learn more about the mind. But as I said, as we just said, you cannot go there simply by observing it with your kind of thoughts or senses because it's always behind that you doesn't matter how far back you travel in your <laughs> like mentally in your mind you're always going to remain within that mood within the, you there's no outside of it so you're subjected to it in as much as you're subjected to, to like a, a different weather um, and then you just have to endure it when it's present or ignore it if you don't like it and so on so Okay then, so say one is then looking in the direction of the moods. Um, what signs and features would they be discovering on the level of that, of that mood, let's say like that? It's arisen by itself. Is that something you learn or something you see? Um, or both? <laughs> It's something you discern in, in through what you're attending to. So, um, so you can't attend to the the limit or the context, because otherwise, that the, the, there will be a context to, to that that new thing that you're attending. So, so but, but so what others then? What other <coughs> signs would appear there on the level of the mood? Prop. What what are the properties of any mood? doesn't matter if it's good, bad, elevated, depressed. So, okay, it's there on its own. I'm subjected to it. You're subjected to it, yeah. It's painful, the fact that it's... But it might be very light, pleasant, agreeable, can't have enough of mood. 
then it's not painful. So it what? Can change. Sorry. It can change. Okay. Yeah. So it's subject to change. So, and these are all factual properties, factual limiters of the often enduring mood, whatever that mood might be at the time. You are not concerned with the content of the mood, but actually you want to see what are the characteristics of any mood, good or bad. So stay on its own. You are the one subjected to it. Uh, it can change exactly. And and would you could you even conceive? you preventing a mood from changing or not or or or, or interfering it with it from the outside that's important any thought you might have in that direction you're still within it and that doesn't change what's the other that also sort of determines which actions are sort of possible and and, and seem to make sense it inclines you in certain directions. You still have power of choice. You still have your, your mano, your intellect you can use. Mm -hmm. And if it's, you know, if a depressed mood is sending you certain ways, you could still use your reasoning and say no to it. The choice always does remain unto you. But, yeah, factually, it is sloping, leaning, sending you in some directions. Good mood, again, sending you towards... More of sensuality, more of this, more of carelessness, more of fun or whatever else. Bad mood sending you the other way. But the actions that come out of it, that's not on the mood. That's you accepting that direction and, and going with it. Why would a person do that? Why would a person, uh, by default, that's what most people do, unless they have learned sufficiently enough from the suttas and then realize the value, no, I must restrain this. Why would a person just, by default, Go with the direction that the mood is sending them to. If I'm angry, I will just be acting angrily. If I'm happy, I'll be loving everyone. If I'm depressed, I can't get out of bed. Um, but I'm acting out. I'm whatever the mood is, whatever the weather, I'm, I'm just acting further. Why would the person do that? It's the way of least resistance. It is what seems to make most sense against that background. Yeah, and what is the... So the way of least resistance, that's basically going with... The, the grain it is with the with flow with that mood yeah and, and that's exactly like what an avija in Patitsambhada results with you you go with the grain that mm -hmm. you know the anuloma patiloma in the suttas with the grain against the grain so what is the main product of just going with the grain of your mood what would that result in what's the final result of unchecked sensuality views cravings, ownerships, suffering. Okay, but that's kind of the, that's really the symptom of the problem that then can make you turn U around. Upadana. Upadana. What's the chief Upadana? The other is outside of this. No, no, no. The chief Upadana. Sense of self. Sense of self. Yeah, yeah. So basically, people would still see that they're subjected to their mood. That they have no say. I mean, even a completely untrained mind would know, oh, this bad mood, when is going to end, you know, this anxiety for two, three days, or this, this depression, or, or even sometimes I get so excited and I lose control, but I would like to be in control, yet they still identify with that mood. Despite all the signs and features that are showing you otherwise, you still, oh yeah, that's me. That's what I am, that's who I am. Because behavior hasn't been checked, you've been going with the grain, perpetually, and then this view that this completely different thing that I'm subjected under, often don't want to, yes, that's what I am. So you keep putting yourself first, 
and these these blatant kind of indicators and imitators of the showing you the things that otherwise you just don't see them you don't take them rightly and that's the the, the simile of the cook we often mention when the unskilled cook mm. does not see the most obvious signs of the mind of the king king's preferences and where the king leans on account of dishes he prepared and that's why he's then subjected to the bad moods and ill will and everything else that that king will punish him with because person not knowing these, not spotting these signs, then goes carelessly in these directions and the mind just proliferates further, the weather worsens, the suffering increases, and they have to then take the, 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 the results of that, the suffering, the pain. That's what the mind does. Because, you know, the mind suffer. you suffer, not because of the world, not because of bad people, not because of suffering in the world, you suffer because your mind is turning against you. On certain occasions, when craving is present, that's what suffering is. Mind resisting itself, aversive towards itself. And that's the pain you feel. Presence of craving means presence of suffering. Craving is on the level of that peripheral background signs of the mind. So, you train the mind, you disown it correctly, or you disown yourself in regard to the mind, more accurately speaking, it cannot, there's nothing to turn against then highway robbers can be chopping your limbs off. Nothing to suffer for. Internally, there is no anguish. There is no fear either. That's the result of all of that, though. Yeah, well, see, and all of that starts by discerning the signs of the mind. That can only be done on the basis of solitude. That can only be done on the basis of sense restraint, seeing the danger in the slightest fault, and dwelling restrained by the virtue of precepts, keeping the precepts. Yeah. And that's why also perhaps keeping the precepts can experientially seem as quite dangerous to my identity because being in a certain mood, yeah. something might feel like, okay, I can do that. I make some determination, I'm not gonna do this. Mm. Then the mood changes. Mm. And then that previous de- determination doesn't make much sense anymore. Exactly. That's where the yeah. struggle begins. So then the, 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 the guiding principle of your behavior then is still the mood and your efforts are secondary to it. But if you actually take the precepts first, mm and say, well, regardless of the mood, these things will not be done. You have, see, you still don't see the mind, that wild, crazy animal you're subjected to, but actually, you fenced it off. You don't know where it is specifically, but you know it it was in this woodland last time, and you fenced it off. So you might not see it yet, but you know it cannot be outside of this, because you're not allowing it, basically. You're not opening the gates. And that's exactly how then you get closer to start discerning these signs. Because everybody, as I said, theoretically can read the sutta and says, oh yeah, the, the two factors for sotapati and this is... Good. Are you a sotapana then? Because it's not enough to have the information about what the factors of the right view is that that make sense of. No, factually, if that's understood, the right view needs to be resolved. So, signs of the minds are necessary prerequisite for, uh, for basically becoming a sotapana, for developing that right view. And as we explained, that's exactly why. Because there is an underlying, completely gratuitous identification with those moods, despite what they're showing you, and you won't be able to see that for yourself directly up until, yeah, you have sufficiently discerned this mind that endures in the background when you're in the solitude and not give in to breaking the precepts as a completely independent thing of you. Like, completely independent, yet you're fully within it. You cannot conceive existing without it but you were the one subjected to it. 
and that's like seeing the nature of that gratuitous Atavada. Oh, I'm, I'm not the master in honor. I am second to this. It's that part that people, because you can think, as you said, I have this mood or this bad mood or that good mood, and it's my mood. Mm. But you still put yourself as yeah. seeing yeah. something as something that could and, be. And you can even do it. Yeah, yeah. This mind is wild and needs to be tamed, an animal, and all of that. And uh, yeah, I see how it's independent and stuff. No, no. You see that on the level of information. That intellectual reasoning, and as I said, that's true in theory, but practically, unless pretty much you are disowning your Atavada, you are uh, becoming a Sodapana, freeing yourself from the fetters, you are not really seeing what you're saying you're seeing, because that has to be the result. If truly discerned signs of the mind seem correctly the characteristic of its Anicca, subject to its will, which is change, uh, dukkha basically, then there will be no even most kind of subtlest abstract notions of ownership left there because you true you understand the depth of that oh this is unownable this is not mine and incidentally that's what escape from it is it's not getting rid of it or getting it under your control it's removing the senses of, traces of ownership and that's where all the sensory strength and virtue you understood now you're not doing it on the level of external duty you see it directly relevant because you realize, I can not keep the precepts, and then this crazy wild king will start stabbing me, hitting me, punishing me. I mean, I don't need to prove anything to myself. I already saw that this mind cannot be owned. Why don't I just protect this behavior so it can dwell peacefully? And I can be, you know, why would I torment myself in those ways? You would see a direct relationship between certain acts and mind and certain mental inclinations such as unwholesome acts and the inclinations of the mind that will then inevitably have to be felt as suffering so yeah I'm out of this picture, there is no more Atavada involved, but factually mind is still not quite completely free, so if I provide this unsuitable food for it it will go wild and it will bite me Sure, not as bad as before, because now I have tamed it or contained it to a degree, but it's still unpleasant. And I have no reason to do it. Why would I do it? I mean, it's not my problem, this mind. My problem is just so that mind doesn't torment me unnecessarily. So then the whole, the, the, the direct kind of relationship, insight, recognition between wholesome is wholesome, and why wholesome is wholesome, or rather why kusala is kusala. Kusala truly means beneficial. Why is certain behavior beneficial and why it's unbeneficial? Not because the Buddha said so, because literally, beneficial behavior tames this crazy mind further. It will make King be my friend, who is in the power to crush me or make my life really miserable. Unbeneficial behavior will send him the other way. So I can choose to go either way, but I cannot unsee this now. The direct relationship between certain type of behavior and how the mind will incline and where it will slope and not what it will do. And given that whether Putujana or somebody who practices the Vazarahamchip has the same principle guiding their behavior, which is freedom from suffering, this is really not a choice, not much of a choice. You can get careless maybe and forget about a king if you, if you got distracted or something, but fundamentally, once this is seen, a certain sphere of suffering has been abolished because 
you couldn't possibly intentionally go there anymore. And thus the mind cannot cause you that much pain anymore. And that's the similar of the burning charcoal pit. Like once you're healed, like would you even consider going and using those burning embers on you again? No, that's just impossible. Perhaps we should also clear up the difference between what we call moods and what people might think of as emotion because they're not the same. Mm. Yeah, so that's mood is on that that kind of uh well no, you tell me first. Why don't I why don't I just speak a bit? What would the difference be? Mood and emotion. Or what general, like again it can mean different things for different people, but what would emotion mean for people here? What would be the difference? Well, it seems to me more particular, mm. like when there is an emotion, such as anger or jealousy or something yeah. else, that is still almost something that you can observe. It's not as concrete yeah. as material yeah. things in the it world. It can also have a bit of a concept in itself, but it is exactly it's that. It's moving in that direction, yeah. so there will be a mood as a background to that, and this yeah. is what we're talking about here. Yeah, so the mood is, is, is yeah, it's far more general, broad, higher than emotion mm. or any specific thing. So it's that kind of overall state of mind you're under. Perhaps one could even say emotion is somewhat defined by the objects in regards mm. to which, like for example, there is aversion generally. Mm. But let's say if it's you know aversion in regards to uh, somebody who has something else that you would like to have, mm. it's like jealousy, we would say. Or aversion in regard to somebody who did something to you that you didn't like. Yeah, yeah. Kind of anger yeah, it is more specific, basically. More well, content oriented. Yeah, exactly. It's oriented to it revolves around the content more. So, so yeah, the mood is then that that general that that background state of mind, and I guess also yeah, it's probably equally important to say that um, these characteristics that we discussed. Yeah, you can obviously hear them, hear them talk, recognize, read, learn about it. And they try to see those things in the in the mood, and sure, you have to start somehow. But the point is to start seeing the mood on its own, enduring, independent of your attention. So whether you're attending to your mood or not, you are under it, and it can be for days, same mood. And you need to start recognizing that that oh, there are these particular specific engagements, changes, distractions. Overall, it's still the same direction my mind leans to, and then start discerning. Once you start seeing it enduring on its own dwelling in solitude, obviously not compromising precepts, then you actually, you could start seeing these features there, really, like discerning from the mood, not you putting it in them, in it, in the mood. Um, so, so it's important to recognize that, that, see, that's already a property of mood that people would not necessarily see. It, it continues to endure, whether you look at it or not, whether you try to look at it or not, whether you try to attend it and figure it out or not, you are under it. Three hours later, you might try again. It's still the same mood, still enduring all this time. And that's already something that will be undermining those views of external and I'm the point of view for all these external things happening in succession in front of me. And so on. But practically, yeah, you got to have to restrain, which will amplify the mood, increase the pressure, increase that resistance, and then see that mood enduring, not give in, not spill out, uh, not break the fence around the forest that you know the mind has to be within, 
And yeah, then you will start seeing its independence, its anicca, all these things on the level of that mind. And all of those stand for signs of the mind. Because when the word says chitta nimitta, you know, it's not, they're not specific nimittas you're going to see. Anything that will stand for that chitta for you at the time. And that's then enough to recognize that, that complete unknowability of it. Uh, well, perhaps we should also clear up that because moods can endure for a while, but at the same time they're impermanent, and that's not a contradiction. So they change, and yeah. you can find yourself yeah. in. Well, that's what impermanence means, it means yes. subject to change. Persistent. Does, does not mean change. changing one every second or something like that. Well, yeah, it means exactly. it doesn't matter, it remains unchanged, but it will have to change. Yes. That's what it means, yeah. And that's also then what you mentioned recognizing that it endures no matter if you attend it or not mm. like in the sense so now I forget about it but then and in a couple of hours a new mood no it's not it's the same mood exactly yeah. and that's then basically right mindfulness it, exactly that's the beginning of it yeah. yeah and then you might find a few hours later a new mood well it's still a mood exactly so that's what I said you, you already stopped looking for the content of your mood you're looking for the general characteristic of any mood. What is a common thread to any mood? So whether you you forget about it, distract yourself, five hours later there is a pleasant mood now, doesn't matter, it means, oh, I'm still under the mood, which means it was unpleasant before, it will change again. So I better not get lost in the content of that, where that mood is directing me towards. Yeah, and the more one recognizes that you can never be outside of a mood, mm. the more that undercuts the assumption of self Yes. Because yeah, self yeah, is the idea yeah. that you can precisely be in And that's how one puts uh, oneself outside of it. By forgetting that the mood endures there, whether you think about it or not, whether, well, you, endure, whether you attend to it or not. Yes. And then you forget, and then next time you meet, you say, oh, I found this. So I've been outside of this. No, actually. So it's the way you remember it hmm. puts you outside of it gratuitously or not. Hmm. And right mindfulness, the right memory. That's, that's where the practice is. That's where the right view starts. The description of Sotapanna in the suttas is the one who sees skillful as skillful or good as good and unskillful as unskillful. He sees that for himself. No more external authority, the Buddha, the Sangha, other traditions telling you this is good. He sees for himself good as good. He recognizes it why it is good. Yeah. And as we described, this is why it's good because it's directly related to the mind you are the kind of under living under living under its will under its own moods oh so it's beneficial for my well-being or unbeneficial for my well-being either way it's on me to to basically allow it or not just as a i see there's a relationship between what you were talking about at the beginning about solitude as in the not only physical solitude but like kind of having an attitude of solitude mm. because this good and bad um, is really even if you don't think about it is always good kind of in the eyes of somebody or the or yeah, in the yeah. eyes of others yeah. so having that as a as an attitude kind of thinking of things in relation to what other people do or what other people say mm. or what somebody might say or is just ultimately good because it's good because mm. Yeah, those are kind of rela uh, relatively good things. Yeah. Like, yeah, what others, you know, you, wanna co you won't consider it because that in itself can make your life better or worse, hassle or not. But, yeah, this is on the level of like a directly relating 
Mm-hmm. To where your mind will incline. Exactly. So that yeah. doesn't require any consider. It's nothing no. about no, anybody no, no. else. No, that's no, the whole no, point. No. But just it's between you and the king. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody else can yeah, come yeah, between yeah. that. Yeah. And and that's that's the difference as well because yeah. then that's partly I think also why you need to be withdrawn from from others. others. Oh yes, sure, exactly. sure. Because the, 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 the see, it's already harder to see in itself because mm-hmm. as I said, you already start with all the wrong views and assumptions and not from a neutral position. And then, yeah, having the presence of others, uh, external, kind of your own perceptions associated with others, um, selves, actors here, actors there, ownership everywhere. Yeah, you're not going to. So it has to be withdrawn. Then, sure, in our hand, then, doesn't mind, as the Buddha said, can sit in any assembly of the devas or the kings. His internal composure doesn't change. There is no introduction of, of the old ignorances and assumption because that has been purified beforehand and got rid of. But until that's developed, a person should, exactly, as the other says, protect his wound. So, don't eat unsuitable food, don't expose the wound to the sun, because it will get reinfected, cover it up, keep it inside, away from the elements, I seclude it, don't go, you know, chasing sense objects and so on. Uh, eat suitable things, don't eat unsuitable things, in other words, don't let your mind go in the unsuitable, uh, don't let your thoughts, mano, go in the unsuitable directions. Don't welcome them, don't delight into them, and the mind will come down and heal up, and then it will be even easier. Because, again, ironically, that's, that's why people go further into sensuality. It's because the, the pain that the mind causes. But they don't know that the problem, the pain, is rooted in the mind that's not free from craving. So then the only escape a person knows is go back to the pleasure that I own, the only pleasure I know, which is the pleasure of the senses. But even they go to sensuality because they want the same thing. They want this mind to not constantly cause them suffering. Yeah, so they need to hear that they basically do not have another escape from... They need to... Well, they can hear it all they want. They need to stop engaging with any other form of escape that they know. That's why we keep saying you have to give up the management in order to see where the problem is and then deal with it there. Management will mean avoiding. Shortcut. Yes, but if but if this is altogether not pointed out, so to speak, then oh, yeah. then the by default thing in relation to suffering mm-hmm. will be the sensual pleasure. Yeah. yeah so yeah. somebody needs to present an alternative to that, needs which to in the beginning it. might not make much sense, but that needs to be worked on, yeah. preferably in seclusion, in order to open up that possibility, and then the dependency on the sensual pleasures will diminish and eventually disappear. Yeah, it needs to be done exactly. Yeah. Out of faith, you, you can hear it, you can agree with it, you can so on, but unless you start doing it, because you know, many people understand this on the level of information, that you know, uh, sensuality does not often escape, but they still engage in management. They still refuse mm. to fully feel the weight of the mood that you are not acting out of towards getting rid of it. And they will have views that were justifying them doing that. Oh no, see the Sutta says you get rid of, you get rid of, you abandon. Yeah, nobody denies getting rid of and abandon. What we disagree with is how you go about it. Do you get rid of it with aversion? Aversion with aversion? You're averse towards mind that's causing you suffering? Well, no, that's exactly why the mind will cause you to suffer. You can't have greed, aversion, or distraction anywhere else except on the basis of craving. Thus, you can't have greed, aversion, uh, distraction, and acting out of it without suffering. You will suffer because of the craving of it. 
Okay, now how does someone who does not see for themselves the distinction between wholesome and unwholesome know what is a wholesome or unwholesome mood? By the uh, utterance of another, by learning about it accurately and knowing where to look for. Seeing the background, not what they are directly attending to mm. from that background. The womb of whatever you particularly engage with. That's why it was in the list here to talk about. Oh, yeah. But I, I won't dare a whole separate talk to it because it's a bit too much. So you just stick to the mind. That's how they'll see it. So they kind of already see the background enduring there while I'm listening to you talking and generally while I relate to my senses in my life. I'm not thoroughly, completely, entirely absorbed in the objects of my attention. Yes. Um, and then, if somebody starts talking about what else is there simultaneously present while you're attending this, or attending that, or acting towards this, or acting towards that, you get to see that there is something there truly that this could pertain to. So, out of that faith, you would start doing it. And actually, there's a sutra that says, one without faith to develop Yonisamanasikara, not possible. Mm. So, you need faith for that. And if the utterance of another is accurate, is properly understood, you're not looking for faults in it, you're not trying to defend your views against it, you're genuinely looking for a medicine that will cure you from craving, thus you cannot suffer ever, you will then take it on, consider it, and on the basis of, the, of that proper simultaneous recognition of uh, the background of your experience, not just directly absorbed into the content and information and phrasing and so on, it will be enough for you to start, at least to look where is that woodland then the mind would where the mind would hide? The point is wholesome and unwholesome is seen correctly. Why wholesome is wholesome and unwholesome is unwholesome? Not like there's some, some universal kind of truth that you discovered written or this is why wholesome is always good and so on. No, you see, ah, that's why wholesome, i.e. beneficial is beneficial and unbeneficial is unbeneficial. And if you have to describe that, then what would it be? Which one? Well, why what is wholesome is wholesome. We just did. Beneficial is beneficial because it will keep the mind, it will, it will not direct the mind in the direction of increasing the passion, increasing the suffering, increasing the craving. It will not basically disrupt, uh, anger the king who will then punish you. That's why it's, 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 uh, it's beneficial. Oh, it's beneficial to protect this behavior because it keeps the king, I, this crazy mind, semi-wild mind that I still, you know, can't trust, keeps him, keeps him content, keeps him calm, keeps him happy, keeps him predictable. Thus keeps me safe. Beneficial. As it happens, those things are things that are not rooted in greed, aversion, delusion. So, loving kindness is beneficial, it's good. Uh, generosity is beneficial, it's good. Uh, not acting out of anger is beneficial and it's good. But this is primarily why it's beneficial. Not because other people will like you on account of it. Mm -hmm. No. Because the mind will not punish you on account of it. That's why it is good. So it happens that the whole, wo the whole world and society would also benefit from the same thing. But all those are secondary reasons. Consequently, the unbeneficial akusala things are things that would aggravate the mind further, that would infest the wound further. The one that the Buddha pulled the arrow out, but you still need to keep an eye on it until it heals. So the mind can still turn, you know, kick and scream, if you keep subjecting it to distraction, sensuality, acting out of will, will, and you are careless. But if you're not, it will come down. And generally, you have to regard it as something that 
well, you cannot be identified with, you are under, and any suffering, from the smallest you can imagine to the greatest possible anguish you can think of, will be caused by nothing other than that mind still being capable of craving against itself. Not by losing everything there in the world and so on. That is literally nothing to do with the pain. It's the craving of the mind means presence of pain. No craving, no pain. The noble truth, like, oh, this is the root of suffering in the entire cosmos, in all of the eons of existence, in the entire samsara, nothing else. Presence of craving or absence of craving. So, you could now even take the principle further and say, beneficial things are the ones that do not increase the craving and prevent the future craving from arising, and unbeneficial ones are the ones that do the opposite. So, for your own welfare, for your own good, man seeking his own welfare, his own good, as I said to say, you would recognize. Because, as I said, even wild, unrestrained person still wants the same thing. To not suffer on that level, fundamental level that he's subjected to. So, if he comes to recognize the true reason for suffering, he cannot not heed it. And that's the whole point of the Four Noble Truths. You can't reverse that because it actually undermined all of the previous... It was the reason, like craving was the reason for all of your previous actions and attempts at escape and management and so on. And now you found it. And now you see a direct connection between what contributes towards craving and what kind of makes it diminish uh, without making things worse. And that's all to it, really. That's why it says, you know, even Arahant, who is free completely from any uh, possibility of that mind reappearing in a form of craving ever again, he still continues dwelling, secluded, guarding of the sense doors, because that's, that's truly pleasant abiding here and now. It's actually truly agreeable to not engage with the senses, to not engage with the burning embers. And now he's removed any reason to do so, so he'll continue not doing so. <laughs> Because the reason for doing so was that very craving that you tried to get rid of by making it worse. The 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 leopard, the infected skin. You're itching, you're ripping it, scratching gets you relief, but increases the scratching, increases the itch. When uh, when the Buddha talks about crushing the mind with the mind, it's often interpreted, I think, in a way where the order is, yeah. In order to crush the mind with the mind, you need to see what the mind is. So it's crushing the context with the context? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crushing that that background mood by not giving in to whatever it leans to. But, yeah, it's it's something you need to see enduring first. And again, how can you practice uh, Satipatthana? You know, the people like to, or the people believe that are, you know, leads to the right view. You can do it before you have the right view. You can practice mindfulness, the four foundations of mindfulness. When one of them is like knowing like all these like basically ways the mind will be enduring there and discerning it accurately without interfering with it, without trying to change it, without get he knows depressed mind is depressed mind, elated mind and elated mind. He knows mind of lust as mind of affected with lust or not affected so already thoroughly versed in recognizing that wild elephant over there that you trapped and then seeing it how it endures in different moods and all of that keeps hammering in the, the, the common thread of the mind the common characteristics that's the whole point it's not oh he 
he knows the depressed mind is depressed minds and then he does this and this and this and this and this to abandon the depressed mind no okay. knowing it is enough because as we said in the beginning it's not about the content so it's not whether your mind is depressed or elated or this or that the fact is that mind that you are subjected to that cannot be owned that you gratuitously keep identifying yourself with oh you want to keep hammering in those characteristics they will prevent you to keep identifying with anicca dukkha then anatta is the result cannot be atta anymore in that regard taming and disowning hmm. is how well, is that connected yeah, to yeah 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 uh, what do you think So how does taming Can you let's put it like this can you tame your mind without disowning it or, or rather can you disown it without taming it No because you will be unable to endure the pressure that it exerts over you But can you tame it without disowning it Can you do that I guess it comes together in a sense Well, it depends maybe what you mean by taming uh, like for you could Means basically yeah. sort of uh not taming it so it doesn't really uh, turn towards craving as much doesn't really attack you as much it's actually calmer like even listens to what what mano what food mano presents itself you might make presents a start. to it sorry <coughs> you can make a start taming the mind well there is still some sense of ownership there exactly yeah, yeah so exactly. you can tame your mind without necessarily abandoning ownership but obviously abandoning the ownership or it would be much easier if the mind is already tamed um and taming of the mind is what sati and samadhi is so when you practice samadhi you want to practice constant concentration in vertical commas yeah guard the sense those dwell in solitude and observe the signs and features of the background moods that you are subjected to that is the definition of samadhi and composure not ignore those things by focusing on one point in this nostril tip or something like that that's quite the opposite that's literally ignoring the behavior of the king and just focusing on the folk or his hand or his foot or this or that so you don't see the unpleasant truth that that's overwhelming you now or he's about to punch you he's about to throw you in jail but as long as i focus on this one point i won't be aware of the bars around me and that's not an escape like it, it does provide some relief but it requires constant maintenance basically And that's yeah, that's in the same sense as we said, <laughs> scratching, <laughs> scratching exactly. the infected itch provides a factual relief, but it's making much worse. Yeah. See, you are making this worse. You're ignoring the king's hints and preferences. Um, so he's going to be even more annoyed with you. Mm-hmm. So next time he won't just put you in jail, he's going to give you 100 whips as well. Because this is the hundredth time you're doing the same stupid thing. Yeah, That's what sensuality worsens. That's with preferences and chasing sensuality in that sense or aversion what makes things worse. Makes your mind even wilder, even more bitter, even sharper, pain, even people they've been acting out of anger their whole life, you know. And they reach certain age just perpetually bitter and angry. Even when there's no reason anymore. Because yeah, you, you really you, you dig dug into the bone now, which is scratching for these thirty, forty, fifty years. And so this single one single phenomenon the question yeah, refers yeah. to is the sense of self basically. exactly yeah that's what it is see because of that sense of self that that um, 
that you perpetuate, as we said, like the truth is like despite all the signs and features of your mind, you're still like, yeah, this is, I am this, this is mine. Yeah, that's why mind has the unchecked brain over you. And anything that that mind changes, you'll be under because you took it through your ownership. So by removal, through seeing the ind independence of the mind, the anicca, the dukkha of it, the, all of these characteristics, uh, you will stop maintaining this idea that, that it's yours, that you are it. Um, and uh, and that's it. That is unburdening you factually from the changes in that mind. Whichever way it goes, doesn't matter. But for as long as there is that identity, whichever way it goes, the burden will be on you. Mm -hmm. That's why that the precepts, the virtue guiding the sense though needs to be taken as a behavior regardless of the state of mind, regardless of what intentions you have and what you're inclined to do or not. No, this will not be done. So you find a common sort of principle that will now unite your behavior regardless of the mood. Yeah, so you cannot act your way out of a certain mood no. because it is mood that determines the action. Yeah, exactly. So it's a perversion and the order. And then seeing that might also prevent unnecessary action and just endure the mind as mind. Yeah, and then uninclined. See, in Anapanasati Sutta, that's kind of the whole point. Again, we say so many times, how can you practice gladdening of the mind, experiencing the mind, expanding the mind, calming the mind, if you don't even see the mind? And if you see the mind correctly, you would at least be a Sotapana. Thus, when a Sotapana does Anapanasati, Sotapana Hara does Anapanasati, he can by that time, because he already has discerned his mind sufficiently as this an independent phenomenon that he's within. And then he can, okay, now let me just experience the mind regardless of the specific state that mind is. Let me breathe in, let me breathe out while experiencing that mind, while re-familiarizing myself with the phenomenon of an enduring mind that I'm subjected to. And let me, let me gladden that mind. Let me make it lighter. Let me unincline it from these directions of sensuality. In other words, you are so skilled now to recognize these precursors to obvious kind of perceptions you can attend to. You're so skilled in recognizing these behaviors of a king even before king knows what he's about to do. You already see because you watched it and learned so closely. Not through examination with your eyes, but through what? Well, through the dumb eye. <laughs> mm -hmm. See on the level of the mind. And then, yeah, uh, you could then basically, your mind wants to go here, wants to go there, but you are the one who sets up the direction and sends the mind in the right direction, in the right way. That's like the taming of the elephant so that you can train the elephant. So that you actually starts listening. So your chitta basically starts listening through what your well-restrained, thoroughly understood mana tells it to do. So what your intellect, what your recognition, what your, what your kind of wisdom tells it to do, the mind that goes that way. And that's the practice of Anapanasati. That's what results in fortifying the four foundations of, of that right memory, mindfulness. We're talking about gladdening the mind and so on. So liberating the mind. Liberating the mind, yeah, 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 yeah. So you can now, as I said, by being familiar with that phenomenon of enduring mind, discerning the slightest signs and features of it. You don't need big coarse moods to see where the mind is. The slightest signs and features, the slightest movements, so to speak, of a neutral, undefined kind, 
it's enough for you to see the mind, to see the state of the mind, even before the mind is aware of it, even before it has assumed the direction and so on. And that's pretty much, by that point, you'll be abandoning any five lower fetters. Because that level of, of, of being, that level of requirement of, of mind-leaning is gone now. Because you got so used to seeing it even before, as I said, I mean, King doesn't move his little finger, you already know where this would go, so you either allow it or not. So all these little signs and features and tokens, all these inclinations, all these limiters, all these foretellers of mind is about to, you know, go and engage mentally, lean towards lust, and then you have to endure the pain of it. Now you're seeing that. Now you're seeing that even before the mind recognized those things were there. And then you, you turn it away. You send it the other way. And that's exactly the practice of, oh, can the unreason lust arise in me? And a, and a mind and a, and a skillful monk would recognize those little telltales. Oh, am I welcoming a mind with this unsuitable kind? So basically refining the principle of skillful is skillful, unskillful and unskillful. Sotapanna hasn't has understood that as a principle, but hasn't understood the Extend. kind of subtler implications of it, because if he did, he would abandon even that, and then he'd be an anagami, or an arahant. But when you say you, re you recognize before the mind even sees or recognizes, mm -hmm. so to say, like how is that possible? <laughs> how can you recognize before it's... Um, present so to say or is it present for you before it's present for the mind or it's present for both but you see the mind doesn't because you see it clearly hmm. it's possible because you're not the mind hmm. mind is a separate thing enduring there which hmm. you sense yourself yeah. now obviously if you're to the point of seeing the mind uh, correctly independence that you that we talk about that sense of self is your not self hmm. but that creature is still there hmm. as the sutras referred to that Pugala, that individual, is still there. And he's the one who guards the mind. Because that's pleasant here and now. And he's the one who has liberated the mind. So where the aggregates break apart of that individual, there will be no more rebirth. There will be no more taking up things because the mind has turned away from all of it. Because you made it turn away. You liberated it. That's why you know that it's liberated because you did it. It didn't happen to you. And that's what the Sutta says. Oh, Arahande, he liberates you, and he knows, oh, it's liberated. So there is no doubt there anymore. The mind is turned away, gone. Through first taming it, then training it, then directing it, then gladdening it, then liberating it. And he has no desire to return anymore. Because the only reason he kept returning is because he wanted to be free from suffering, <laughs> which was, and returning was what was making it suffer. So, the vicious circle.